Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this passage and for the truth that's contained in it. And Lord, there is a burden to be patient. Lord, it weights us down at times. It causes us to think on things that uh, when we ponder them are difficult. And yet, the burden comes with a blessing. We know that if we patiently wait and we endure as good soldiers to the end, that there is a reward for those who diligently seek you. And we want to be those people tonight, people that are blessed in the moment as we seek the face of the Savior, as we patiently endure these things that we see on this earth. Help us to be a part of the solution and not a part of the problem. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 7 of James 5, And therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. It's only been 12 years since Jesus left. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. If that was true then, it's really true now. See how a farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until he receives the early and the latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts. That word established means to build a firm foundation. Set your hearts on a firm foundation. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. James said that the better part of 2,000 years ago. And because the word of God has never not been true, I know it's a double negative, The word of God has always been true is a way to state it in the reverse. It's always been true. It's never not been completely true. If it was true then, it must be absolutely true now. The coming of the Lord is at hand. The only difference is we have to be a bunch closer. We're 2,000 years closer to the time when the Lord comes Twice, really, you can look at it that way. Once for the church and then once to deal with sin and death and evil. The time is at hand. The coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another. I've shared this with you before. One of the things that grieves me deeply in our time right now is the level of grumbling that brothers and sisters have against other brothers and sisters in our world. We spend sometimes more time grumbling and complaining and whining about the church and other people in it than we do about the devil and the things that he's doing. We ought to be more concerned with the enemy than we are with our friends in that sense. Our concern should be for our friends, of course, but if they're doing the work of the Lord and we're doing the work of the Lord, it could be that we're just simply on different parts of the battlefield. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. For behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. And we're going to look at this in some detail tonight. But think of your favorite prophet. I'm sure most of you have at least one or two. I know I do. My favorite is the prophet Isaiah. Without question. Maybe yours is Elijah or Elisha. Maybe it's Zechariah, Hosea, Daniel. Maybe it was David or Moses. All of them prophesied. But you know what? 
None of them had any Instagram followers. None of them had a Facebook following. None of them got rich. Very few of them, if any, really had serious friends beyond their own family. And most of them were murdered for their faith. Not really a job you want to apply for. But they suffered patiently. Indeed, we count them blessed to endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job, another one of my favorite characters in all of Scripture. Now his book, some people think, is depressing. For me, it's one of the most beautiful books in the entire Bible. Because it is the penultimate story of God's plan of restoration. In no other book is it more vivid than in the book of Job. A man who's so wrongly treated that we actually look at his life as a marker. Man, at least it's not like Job for me. But we can look at his life at the end and say, no man was ever more blessed than Job. Intervening that time, several decades of suffering and pain, difficult things. But the end is a whole bunch better than the beginning. And seeing the end intended by the Lord, you see God had intended to bless Job all along. That was his plan. And God's plan is to bless you all along the journey. You may not see that right now. You may be going through a very difficult time. You may feel like Job tonight. But you are a child of God. If you have believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are one of God's children. And you are chosen. And you are accepted in the beloved. And you are loved by a God who loves you with a love you can't even fully understand. And he is going to make good on his promises to you. Don't forget that part of the story. Because while you're being patient, the enemy is trying to convince you the Lord's not coming. The Lord's not real. The Lord didn't tell you the truth. The Lord isn't even someone you can trust. But the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. The Lord is soft-hearted towards his children. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or any other oath. But let your yes be yes and your no be no lest you fall into judgment. And so we see first a call for simple patience. And there's two examples that are given here. And one is very clearly just simply the biblical example. And that biblical example is throughout your entire Bible. And that is the coming day of the Lord. For the Jewish people in the Old Testament times, it could have been for the coming of the Messiah, But now we wait for the return of the Lord. Amen? We actually wait for the rapture and then the second coming and the millennial reign and finally for the devil to be cast into the lake of fire eventually. We wait for the coming of the Lord. And in the meantime, things aren't going exactly as we would like them. Amen? The world isn't a better place. It's a more advanced place. It's a more prosperous place. There are more people on the earth. But there's also more poverty, more sickness, more disease, more people go to bed hungry, more people lack access to fresh water. There is great inequity, great injustice. There are more murders, more wars, more deaths. Currently, there's more of everything than ever in human history. And a lot of it is misery. Very difficult things. Hard to imagine why God would continue to allow those things, but God has a purpose. I get asked fairly regularly, well, why does God allow that to happen? Why why were there people doing missionary work in Haiti that were kidnapped? You would think God would put a Christian bubble over them, and wherever they went, no one could, matter of fact, if you got too close, God would just zap them and they'd die. But that isn't what happened. And it isn't what happened with the group that was kidnapped before them. 
It's not what's going on in vast parts of Africa right now. The injustice that we see in countries where Jesus is not widely known is monumental. And in some cases, it's not great here in America. Why, Lord? The answer is actually given to us in 2 Peter. The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so he patiently waits. He gives everyone time. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but because the Lord is sovereign, because he can't be taught anything, he knows everything in advance, he is right as we sit here tonight, managing the minutia in the details of some nearly eight billion human beings on the planet right now, simultaneously. Where your life intersects mine and mine yours and ours each other and our country other countries and our state other states and our communities other communities. God sees absolutely all of that and his patience is based on the fact that he's unwilling that any should perish but that all should come to repentance And so he's got an awful lot of grace for sinners. Because if he didn't, the world would come to a screeching halt very quickly. Because there's plenty for him to get mad about right now. Amen? Think about it. Isn't there there enough things that if you were God, and this is not a good way for us to think, but for a moment if you would think with me that you're now God, I'm pretty sure there's a whole bunch of things on earth that you are not going to allow to happen. But for some reason, God in his sovereign plan has allowed things to be as they are. Because if he has not stopped them, then at least he's allowed them. Because he's sovereign. And so God says to us, be patient. And you might be able to interject there, though it's not found in the text, Just like I am patient, Jeff, speaking of God, until I come for the church. I've got a plan. I'm paraphrasing and interjecting here. But I believe that you can see how that would be true. God's being patient right now. And we're to be patient with him. We're to be on task and on mission with him. If he's waiting, we should be waiting. And we should have the same character while he waits that he has. He's merciful. He's kind. He's generous. He's long-suffering. He's tender-hearted. Think about the characteristics of God and then ask yourself, no wonder. This must be why he's waiting. He will so get focused on the things that God should fix today. And they forget how many things God is waiting so that he has an opportunity to put himself into that conversation so that men can see him. Women can see him. Mankind can see him. But if he just simply wipes us out, how many people perish? And so God is patient. Don't miss that in God's plan of salvation. Don't get so stirred up about the things going on in the world that you forget that God has a reason for waiting. Can I tell you that sometimes the reason we don't want him to wait is because we're being selfish? We're tired of suffering. We're tired of watching the evil. If God hasn't come back yet, then he has a plan. And if he has a plan, it would be really good for us to patiently wait for his plan. The return of the Lord is going to happen in a couple of stages. The first one, 1 Thessalonians 4, from verse 13 all the way to verse 11 of chapter 5, is one that takes place in the air. And you can read that passage later. That's that great snatching away, the harpazo in Greek. That is the Latin word transferred from the Greek to the Latin in the Latin Vulgate, rapturo, rapturizo. 
It means to snatch away or to catch up by force. Be very careful that you don't confuse this with the actual second coming because this one doesn't happen on earth. And Jesus' second coming is clearly described in the book of Revelation as being on the earth, not in the sky. This one only pertains to believers when he comes the second time. He comes to fight the battle of Armageddon. And so those two stages, Jesus is coming again. Now for us, the good news is that the rapture of the church, if you're here tonight, you know the Lord Jesus, guess what? You're going home to heaven. Amen? Okay, now we're all applauding. Now you should feel very sad, and the people that don't know him are going to spend seven years of hell with the Antichrist. Countless billions will die. You get the point? Sometimes we're, we're so ready for the rapture of the church that we forget what would happen if the Lord did come today. Be careful. You're already going to heaven, but there are a whole lot of people that aren't, and the Lord is concerned about them. He wants them to be saved. So if you want the Lord to return, here's my counsel to you. Go see to it that men come to know Jesus. That's the short path, and that is absolutely God's perfect will. Is that people come to know the Lord. Wouldn't it be cool? Pastor Chuck used to say this all the time. I hope one day I'm around when the last person gets saved. Because in God's mind's eye, we're not told this in Scripture, but in God's mind's eye, there is a final person that's going to get saved, and then he's coming for the church. So maybe we should be busy about our father's business. Seeing people coming to know Jesus instead of complaining about our government. Instead of whining about political things or things that ultimately can't save anyone. Go be involved in those things in the private sector. But as far as your mission, your mission is to preach the gospel to anyone who will listen. And even if they won't listen, preach it anyway. Amen? The second reason for believers is a botanical one. Behold the farmer who waits for precious fruit of the earth and has long patience for it. Now, not many of us probably in this room have been farmers. Uh, I happen to have grown up in a part of Southern California where we still farmed and ranched. And so I have a little bit of experience with this and I have some business experience and actually building avocado ranches and those types of things. And so I'm a little familiar with this. And I can tell you when you first plant an avocado, we called them ranches, not farms, but when you built an avocado ranch, because most of the time they were on hillsides, you would wait 10 years for the first legitimate crop. It was a losing proposition. You spent all that money, planted all those trees, watched all that water, and you got zip for 10 years. Nothing. So in fact, you had to pay money to wait. In the very same way, that's what's in view right here. That the church, God's people, need, need to be patient like farmers. And there's so much of farming that is completely out of our control. There is nothing you can do but wait. I don't care how much you talk to trees or crops, fruit, vegetables, lingoons. I don't care whether you got peanuts or papayas. Talking to them, yelling at them, pointing at them isn't going to cause them to grow. Furthermore, you can't over-fertilize them. You can't really even help them along. You can't create artificial sunlight. They grow as fast as they're going to grow, period. We've been trying to do this stuff for years. We finally figured out that you can get a couple of different crops by growing things hydroponically. That works pretty well. But the process is basically the same. And guess who controls the process? 
the one who put the DNA in the seed that controls what the plant's going to be and what and how it produces fruit and or a crop of some kind. So the farmer has to patiently wait. When you travel to Israel, you're going to see something very unique, very unusual. That's the Jordan River Valley is almost entirely below sea level, significantly. At one end, several hundred feet. At the other end, 13, almost 1,400 feet below sea level. So in that sense, it's kind of a strange hyperbaric chamber. It has extra oxygen due to the pressure that is compressing that air down to the ground. But it has very, very limited rain cycles. Matter of fact, right now is the rainy season in Israel. So there are the first rains, which happen right now, usually in October. They last about two weeks. That's what sets the seed. That's what gets the crop beginning to grow. The latter rains don't come until six months later. And in the intervening time, it's very dry. And oddly enough, it can be also very cold. It snows in Jerusalem. It snows on Mount Hermon. It snows in the Golan Heights. But not much. Just enough to freeze your crop, kill your blossoms, destroy your fruit. Guess who controls all that? It sure isn't the farmers. And yet Israel is the breadbasket of Europe, a vast majority of the fruits, vegetables that grow in a subtropical climate come from Israel. Produce like you can't believe. God is very faithful to do something for them that they can't do for themselves because the climate is actually not great for growing much of anything if you really look at it. Nobody is going to go there and go, wow, perfect, a sub-Saharan desert. Well, let's grow plants there. That's below sea level. Perfect. That's over 120 degrees during the summer and freezes during the winter. Ideal farming conditions. The farmers that James is talking about are those farmers. Farmers that lived in that environment. These crazy winds that come out of Syria, out of Lebanon, blow down from Mount Hermon. All they could do is wait. That's it. That's all there was to do, was to wait. In the same way, we have to wait for the coming of the Lord. We have to be patient. We have to believe that God's got a crop for today and rain for tomorrow and sufficient sun to grow what needs to grow. And we keep being patient while we wait for the Lord to return. And we don't grumble. We don't complain. We wait for God's perfect timing. You simply can't hurry the seasons. Second Peter chapter 3 gives you this. If you want to read that later, just look at the first 10 verses of Second Peter chapter 3. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness. But he is long-suffering and not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God has a plan in his waiting, and we should have a plan to wait with him. And be joyful about it. Considering the times, knowing the seasons, doing these things that scripture reminds us to do. Church, I don't care how much you... Look at your flowers and try and get them. They won't grow simply by you looking at them. You've got to wait the amount of time necessary. Connie got a little cactus. I think it was a seed initially, and it's in a pot in our window. It's been there for four or five months. You can almost see it. Real close. There's a little thing. And sometimes I look at it and go, and me being the impatient person that I am, 
maybe we should put it in a bigger pot. There's got to be some cactus fertilizer. We can do something. No. All you can do is wait. It's going to grow when it grows. Give it the opportune sun, the opportunity to have water, and it's going to do its thing. God programmed it that way. And the same way, he's programmed us as well. When you look at the world that we live in, you look at the people that are referenced in the Old Testament, how, how patient did Moses have to be? You know, sometimes we look at Moses and it's like, okay, well, you know, he was in the wilderness for 40 years. No, he, was, he had to watch the damage that was done to the Jewish people for 400 years. That's how long they were in captivity. It wasn't three weeks. Pharaoh wasn't unkind to them for a couple of days. It was centuries. In the same way, church, we can endure. There is a promise here of patience as well. You know, sometimes it does seem like the devil's winning the war. And there are countless examples, but the one that is first to mind for me, and it's actually quoted here, comes from the prophet Isaiah in chapter 26. It's the same truth. God will keep you at perfect peace when your mind is stayed on him. When your mind is on the things of the world, how much peace do you have? Anybody got any? Because if you do, tell me how. Because when I focus on the world, I have very little peace. It's one of the reasons that I've gotten older. It's not that I'm ignorant of what's going on in the world. That's not true. I I see enough that I, I stay in touch. But when I look at the things of the world, it's like, oh my. And so I have to focus my mind on the things of the Lord. God's got a plan. God's got a purpose. God didn't fall off the throne. I got an email two days ago from a guy that, you know, it's just, he said, you know, I have to go down to the border of Texas. And this is almost word for word what he said. You have to go down to the border of Texas because if you'd been to the border of Texas, you would know that there are all these hundreds of thousands of people coming into the country. And we have to stop them right now. And I, don't judge me for this. I emailed him back and I said, so God lost all those people? That's all I sent back. And he sent me kind of a not nice thing back. And I I said, I'm just trying to stimulate your thought process. Do you think that God does not know that those people are masked at the border of Texas and Mexico? And he goes, well, yeah. Yeah. Do you think God has sufficient resources to take care of them, whether they're in Mexico or in the United States? Well, yeah. Do you think God cares about them more than you do? Well, yeah. So why are you so concerned which side of an imaginary border they're actually on? Because right now that's an indefensible border. Let's face it, it's just a river. he stopped, and he actually said, you know what, I'm really sorry. I had the wrong understanding of that. I said, yeah, those are people that Christ died for. We want to do things correctly? Sure, of course. But are those little children precious in the eyes of the Lord? You better believe they are. Are those people that are destitute? And have nothing? Does God want to meet their needs? You better believe he does. So we have to be careful because you can get caught up in the political spin of all of this and forget how God sees it. How does God see it? He is unwilling that any should perish, but that all, every tribe, tongue, nation, nationality, language... Ethnicity, 
socioeconomic class, every person on the face of the earth is an object of God's love. Amen? Be careful because you can get spun into these weird things that have nothing to do with how a believer should think about other people on this earth. We should be the most caring and concerned people about others on this planet that exist. Doesn't mean that we forfeit our rights. It doesn't mean that we throw open our borders and just say, well, whatever. But it does mean that we should rule the way God rules, and that's with compassion and tenderness and gentleness and understanding. All that other stuff, I don't really think God's all that concerned about it. Think how God thinks. That's why we need to be patient. That's what the promise is. You see, politicians can buy what they want. And there are good politicians, by the way. People with money and power can buy what they want. But God, doesn't, God sees right through all of that. He's still looking at the people. He's still caring about the souls. He knows that one day he's coming again. And so his concerns are vastly different than those ones that we could say are selfishly motivated. Look, I'm with you. I would rather have more than less myself. Okay? Let's just clear that up. I'd rather have clean water and all those things, wonderful things that we have in this country. But the one who provides those things for all of us is actually the Lord. And so we should be concerned about those who don't have those things. That causes us to be patient on some of these other peripheral issues. Because to God, they're very peripheral. I, Brother Chet's flying back from Liberia right now. He flew from Liberia to Ethiopia. Back to Denmark, like Brussels. Belgium, the U.S. Not an easy journey. But how fruitful that his kingdom is advanced, that souls are one, that people have fresh water. We're in the process of digging wells, some 35 of them in total. Every village that we have a church in we're digging a well in. Why? Yeah. Why? Why? Because water is life. And if you give people life, you get a chance to share the gospel with them. If they die, you don't get to share the gospel with them. It's real simple. I guarantee you that's God's concern. We're doing the same thing in El Salvador right now. Digging wells, giving people fresh water. Why? Because if you give them life, you get an opportunity to share the gospel. It's that simple. Be patient, because sometimes it doesn't make sense. Sometimes it seems like your rights are being infringed upon. Sometimes it seems like you're giving in. But when you're giving the way God gives, you're never giving in. You're being like him. And that puts a smile on God's face. There's a day coming we're not going to be able to do this any longer, church. We're going to be home. Our travails will be over. We'll have a reward. We'll spend a glorious eternity with our God. But in the meantime, we should have the patience that God has for people. That's who he's concerned about. So we have to have sufficient daily patience. Don't grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Because there's only one judge, church, and he's a judge of every last one of us. Believer and unbeliever. For the believer at the Bema seat, you're going to be judged for rewards. But if you don't know him, there's a great white throne that awaits 
that you really don't want to go to. And so we have to, again, have that position of, of seeing things from God's perspective. And I sometimes wonder if the church doesn't understand that. You know, God is groaning over the difficulties that, that America faces. But God is also groaning over the difficulties that Africa nations are facing and Central American nations are facing and Asian nations are facing. I read an article today that Kim Jong-un has informed his people that he actually owns every bit of the property in North Korea. It belongs to him, to his family. And then he said, get prepared for at least five years of eating less. It's a direct quote, by the way. Because of the imperialistic things that the United States have done and the sanctions, the fact that China hasn't opened its borders, and he just went on to name all these things. God cares about all those people. 25 million people live in North Korea and a vast majority of them in poverty. They have the fourth largest standing army in the world. God cares about them. And yet I hear a lot of Christians saying, nuke them. We should just blow them off the map. I sometimes wonder about the salvation of people who say stuff like that. Because those are souls that God loves. That he doesn't want to see perish. And the last thing he wants us to do is nuke them. He wants us to preach the gospel to them. So we got to have patience. Because we might have to endure some stuff in order to get there. We might have to watch some of our precious liberties maybe not be quite so free anymore. And while that's not what any of us want, it isn't what I want. But if that's what it takes to save souls, then so be it. Be patient. Love people. There'll be time enough in eternity for us to enjoy the glories of everything God has for us. Notice that patience is coupled with suffering in this passage. Now, I'm not going to preach on suffering tonight. You're all going to sing, praise God. But I would remind you that Romans 8 says the whole creation is groaning. That actually everything God created is not the way he intended it. And he's going to fix that one day. So be patient while he's in the process of working the fix together. You know, R&D takes a long time. Research and development. We spend a huge, almost every product that's ever developed, that first run has all the problems. That's why, you, you know, if you're that person that buys the, the latest cell phone the moment it comes out, thank you. Because you get the ones that have all the problems, okay? We wait and get like version four, and it's like all the bugs are worked out of it. In the very same way, God has to deal with you and has to deal with me, and we have our issues, right? And so because we have our issues and God doesn't control us like a bunch of robots, we get to do some pretty dumb things. And mankind's been doing dumb things since the beginning, i.e., Adam, Eve, Cain, Abel, Noah, and keep going. None of them were perfect. They all had their faults. They all had their weaknesses. And it's like we expect things to be different for us. It's like, well, we don't want to go through anything. You think Abraham went through some stuff? Yes. Moses? Yes. The 12 sons of Jacob? Yes. The entirety of the Old Testament is a story of people who messed up and God restored them. We can have patience today. It's what's necessary. God's going to judge all these things. Do I hate abortion? Absolutely. But you know what? I love the women like God loves the women who've had the abortions more than I hate the abortions. Because that's how God sees it. God cares about the souls. Sometimes we get so caught up in trying to fix things here on earth that we forget that God will fix everything in heaven. 
care for what God cares for. We can be against things that God's against, for sure. We should be. We're to hate sin and to love righteousness. But at the same time, you have to love the sinners that are sinning. That's going to require patience because you're going to see things you don't want to see. You're going to hear things you don't want to hear. You're going to watch things happen that you don't want to happen. There are going to be laws passed that you're not going to agree with. There are going to be things that happen in our culture that should not happen if this were a godly nation. But let me clue you in, not everybody in America is a Christian. So do what God does. Be patient with sinners. Love people who are unlovable. Be kind to those who spitefully use you. Love on people who hate your guts. It drives them crazy. Seriously. You want to mess with somebody's head? When they're being evil to you, be good to them. They don't know what to do. They have no clue. It's like, what do I do with this? I asked if I could go out and coffee with them. I was calling them names. Freaks them out. You got to have patience for every day. Some of that patience is going to need to be supernatural. Notice, we are informed about the patience of the prophets. You talk about supernatural patience. God tells the Jewish people, don't do this. And what do the people do? Exactly what God tells them not to do. I mean, time and time again. That's like the story of the Old Testament. When Moses finally declares, my people are stubborn and stiff-necked, that was not a revelation. That had been going on for a while. And by the way, before you judge them, look in the mirror. You're probably the same. It's a human condition. We're stubborn. We're stiff-necked. We like what we like. We want to go where we want to go. We want to do what we want to do. God sent them prophets. Can you imagine being one of the prophets? Like Isaiah and running around Jerusalem going, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Not a real popular job. You know, sometimes I feel sorry for our politicians because they're actually doing things for us. We're not exactly easy to please, amen? So something happens, what do we do? Can you imagine if you're a prophet and you're speaking for God and something bad happens? Oh, some kind of prophet you are. That's why most of them ended up getting killed. They had to have patience. There are only two prophets in the entire Bible that had instantaneous results. One is Jonah, the other is Nahum. One positive, one negative. One preaches the gospel, people get saved. The other, instantaneous judgment on the enemies of God. But other than that, most of them live lives of being constantly filled with the sorrows of the society that they lived in. Can you imagine if they just gave up? Micah was actually the first prophet to threaten the destruction of Jerusalem. You think that went over well? Probably not. Well, this is God's city. He gave it to us as an eternal possession. Yep, and he's going to destroy it. Zechariah was murdered. Isaiah, according to tradition, extra-biblical sources, was put into a log and sawn in two. But they had patience. They weren't out to make a name for themselves. They were out to make a name for the king. The Lord. They could have cared less what other people actually thought or said about them. They just wanted to be well-pleasing to God. Prophets weren't on their own payroll. They were on God's. You know, when you become an employee... You actually have signed a contract, whether you believe it or not, here in the state of California. If you're an employee, you receive a paycheck, you actually are under an an employment contract. You have agreed to a certain wage, and for that you will do a certain set of duties. 
And it's literally a contract, and that contract is actually executed when you get a paycheck. Even if you haven't signed one, you accepting the paycheck is saying you accept the conditions of employment. I don't know if you knew that or not, but that is California employment law. Now imagine that your employment contract is with God. God, I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do. And if I get killed doing it, so be it. And oh, by the way, Isaiah, here's your paycheck. Nothing. Zip. I'm going to keep you alive. Any of you going to take that job? And yet they all did it. And very often with a measure of joy. Some weeping, to be sure. At church, as you think about that supernatural, that supernatural patience. When you think about the prophets, the same thing is true with the patriarchs. A negative example is, is Michelle, the, the daughter of King Saul. She falls in love with David. David's already married. David's a mess. Okay, can we just say that? David was a mess. David was never not a mess. And yet he had a heart after God's own heart. So he was a mess, but he still had a heart after God's own heart. David becomes jealous and just this crazy, insane thing. And then you've got in the same family, you've got Abigail, who's married to Nabal, whose name means fool. What a crazy thing. And Abigail waits. David ignores her. That's kind of the world that we live in. You got both sides of the coin all the time. You got some people being faithful and some people being unfaithful. And yet somehow God works all of it out. David still ends up in the lineage of King Jesus. Somehow God's plans still work together for the good because God himself is good. Amen? And so don't give up. It's going to take supernatural patience. You're going to have people around you just like Nabal. They're going to be graceless. They're going to be mean-spirited and angry. They're going to be hateful. But you be what God wants you to be. You be kind. You be gentle. You be generous. You be loving. You be what God wants you to be. And then let God sort everything out. He is the judge at the door. He hasn't missed anything. And you can count on him to even it all out in eternity. He's got it. Abigail got rewarded. And I think James would have said, way to go. And then There's Job as we wrap this passage up. (laughs) You just have to love Job. Have you heard of the patience of Job? And everybody's going, we don't want to hear of the patience of Job. I don't want to even think that I have it all going on. And God says about you that there's no one on the earth that's more righteous than you. And then your whole world falls apart. You see, none of us are signing up for that. If you were to tell somebody who doesn't yet know the Lord, hey, I just want to be really clear here. When you give your life to Jesus, your life is going to come unhinged. You're going to lose everything. Most of your family is going to die except for your wife, and she's going to tell you to curse God. Okay? That's Job's story. That's what happens to Job. And yet, what is Job's life really a symbol of? A man who refused, refused to give up on his relationship with the Lord. He had so much patience at times, you're like, man, could you just punch somebody? When Zophar and Bildad and Eliphaz come to him, I'm thinking, just knock their teeth out. You know, when they come back, just punch them in the face. That's what I'm thinking. You can call me carnal, whatever you want. I don't care. I'm old. 
But that's how I would be thinking in that moment. I'm, I'm, look, I've got boils. I'm in the city dump. My whole family's been killed, and you want to say it's my fault. Get over here. We got to talk. And yet, that isn't what Job did. Job was so assured of the goodness of God that he declares, I know I will see on this earth my God. That's who Job was. That's patience. I I would have run out when my wife tells me to curse God. After all that he'd been through. And again, that's not any type of a statement on on his wife. She had reason to say that. It's like, dude, I can't believe I married you. I mean, things were going fine. You must, you know, you can see how she would have thought this dude must be in sin or something. I mean, why would God allow this? And yet, he wasn't in sin. He was righteous. There were no problems. He was actually a problem solver. Everything about Job's life spoke the other thing, but God allows these incredible difficulties to come his way. And Job still loved God and still loved people. And he suffered with these guys that kept coming to him, telling him he's, you know, there's, well, you, somebody sinned in your family. Well, thank you very much. You know, they're the original Captain Obvious. You know, the whole world was thinking that, but it wasn't true. Psalm 103 says, like a father that pities his children, so the Lord pities them that fear him, for he knows our frame and he remembers that we are simply dust. What an incredible passage. Same words, very pitiful, that are used there in the Greek. Polisplanchnos. It it means to have a heart of pity. It means to be so compassionate that your default setting is to so deeply love someone who's in pain that you emote with them, that you feel what they're feeling, that you go through what they're going through, that you're so pitiful in your pity towards them that it's like you got joined to them. Full understanding of of their predicament. That kind of pity. That's not like, oh, oh. Glad I'm not you. It means to be 100% compassionate. That's your God. And that's who we should be. 100% compassionate. That means compassionate with people that you don't agree with. That means compassionate for people that don't have the understanding you have. That means to be compassionate even with your enemies. You see, compassion doesn't have bounds. The truly compassionate person is compassionate to everybody. Everybody. You can even be compassionate to commies. I said that because I, again, got an email. Oh, if we keep doing what you're doing, we're going to be communists. No, we're not. Is your God that small? Is your God that small that he's not able to overcome the great red threat? Mine is plenty big enough to handle that. Now, do I want to be communist? No. Am I communist? Absolutely not. I'm not socialist. I'm not even liberal. I'm actually quite conservative. Matter of fact, I'm opposed to communism. Let me get that clear. I am opposed to communism. But I don't think God's all that concerned about it. He's concerned about all those millions and millions and millions, actually billions of people affected by that horrible system of government that's destroying their lives. He's concerned about the people. He's not concerned about the Chinese army and their new hypersonic missiles. If God is concerned about hypersonic missiles, we should get another God. You think? The one that I actually know and love and serve put galaxies into space. I'm not really concerned about whether you know, he can protect us from a communist threat. 
He can't protect us from a communist threat, then he surely can't protect me in eternity. Amen? Think, I'm trying to get you to think, because so much of the church, and it's everybody, it's like, we're, oh, we've got to argue about No, we don't. We don't have to argue about that. You can be anti-communist and still pro-people. Did you know that? You, you, can be, you can be for the things that God's for and still hate sin. Those things are not mutually exclusive. James carries all this over to the life of Job. Job chapter 1 says this of Job. In all of this, everything. Jacob arose, he tore his garments, he shaved his head, he fell down on the ground naked and worshipped. And said, naked I came into this world and naked I will leave. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all of this, Job charged not God with evil. That's a patient man. And I want to be like that. What a lesson. There's proof of it. And it usually comes from our tongue. The proof of our patience normally comes from our tongue. It's what we say. I find when I get all worked up and I start, it usually shows I'm being impatient. That's why James started with the sins of the tongue, remember? He who bridles his own tongue. James ends with what to avoid. Above all, brethren, don't swear either by heaven or earth or any other oath. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. That's yes to the Lord. And that's no to the world. Our yes should always be yes. We should be able to have our word be our bond. We should be able to be counted on when we say something. James also tells us what we ought to cling to there in the latter part of verse 12. We should be able to make sure that our lives can be measured by truth. Because the Lord is going to judge all of us. Whatever we say, whatever we do, one day we're going to give an account for every single thing done in this body. Good or bad? You know what happens when I think of that? I got enough of my own stuff to work on. Amen? I just look at my own life and I go, hmm, okay. Uh, I got some things I need to clean up. I got some things I need to rethink. I have some things I shouldn't do and I have some things that I marvelously, by his grace, I'm doing pretty well. So I can let my yes be yes and my no be no and let God sort out the details of other people. While I love on them and care for them and am concerned for their souls because that's what God wants us to be. Amen? Would you stand? We'll close in prayer. Have some pastors up front available for prayer after service. Father, we thank you that you have been patient with us. And Lord, we pray that you would drive us to think of this world the way you think of it, the way you see of it. The things that are in it, Lord, need your touch. The people that are on it need you, Jesus, as Savior. And Lord, we, we need to have the same concerns that you do for them. And so, Lord, we pray that you cause us to reach out, Lord, not to accept evil passively, we can fight against evil and still love people who are caught in it. We can pray for those who spitefully use us and persecute us for your name's sake and do good to them. 
Lord, we don't have to be fighting with each other. We can fight against the enemy together. And so, Lord, we pray that you would take each of us and mold us and shape us into your own image. Cause us to be patient. Lord, help us to endure as good soldiers these things that are going on. Let not any of these things move us, Lord, that we'd have that Acts 20 view of this world. Lord, there are lots of things going on. We can either be moved or unmoved. We can either be steadfast or beaten off course by the wind and the wave. Help us to patiently stand while we await your return. And even so, Lord Jesus, if you're done, if the last soul that is going to be saved is saved, then we graciously ask you, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.